It's June 22, 2023. This is Rook. Hi there. Welcome, welcome to episode 269 of Rook. I'm We're going to get into it in a moment. I mean, uh, it's dominating. It's, um, it's, it, n- nothing else in the world matters no, right now. But the, the pronunciation important. of stew. Uh, in Persian. I hope you're doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Hello, Smart Pega. Hello. Here in the studio. Oh, Smart Pega. Did you get, uh, I, there's a, oh, I forgot. The way you said that. No, yeah, like, I forgot whoa. that there's a, there's a letter that, uh, I mean, we got a bunch of feedback from yeah. last week's show. Yes, we did. But there was a letter that was particularly, uh, you know, I don't know why you call her Smart Pega. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I saw that comment. <laughs> <they're> not happy. <laughs> well, it was a comment, but she also sent me a private letter. Oh wow! She's, and she said, uh, she said, because you were talking about this event in in L.A. Mm-hmm. and uh, you would this concert that happened. Well, you called it a concert. I called it a concert. I'm going to call it a fundraiser. Yeah, I was going to say, be careful what <laughs> you call it. Well, I I thought it was a great thing, and mm-hmm. you know, and then I I don't know why you maybe because Reza Pahlavi was there. Oh yeah, that's it. I don't know what it is with you. <laughs> But anyway, you you're, you're trying to get know, people know, to come after me. No, no, this, no. This is Sorry, what's happening that's here. not what it was. But you, but no, you said uh, you don't know what the utility of it was. Yes. This big thing that happened in L.A. How is it actually supporting people? Maybe it's you know should we we should have more on the ground help than just mm-hmm, concerts mm-hmm. and you know. And I was saying, no, oh, it seemed like a good thing. Uh, right. Look at me. But to, oh, be, but to be fair, to be fair. <laughs> it let turns me out they were raising money. Yes. Right? Yeah. Let me uh, add that uh, I did say on numerous occasions uh-huh. that, you know, I didn't know as much about the Doesn't event. Matter. I didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't Doesn't partake, matter. you know, none of that. So I did you preface what I event. said. No, no it's, it's fine. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, I, I planned all week. I was like, because we don't do letters of the week anymore, right. and it was such a great letter. I you mean, she was she. All week to I get planned all to come we- after me. No, no, not, <laughs> not for people to come after you, but I was going to bring you that letter because you were so. You know, I mean, yeah. look at you do the news on the show. You I do know. the roundup, I know. and you were so derisive of this event in L.A. And <laughs> you know, then somebody and it was all like there was evidence, mm-hmm, and there was mm-hmm. she had all the receipts. Like this is where the money's going. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, Good on you, people in LA who raised yes, money and right. don't listen to these people like Pega. Like Pega. Who, <laughs> who don't care. <laughs> um, do you know what Mr. Speaking of indifference, do you know what Mr. Indifferent is? Um, I didn't until today. Ah, because you just watched it, right? I did. I watched it. It is so, I, I, I have known about this, as have 50 million or mm-hmm. more people. I mean, uh, on YouTube, this became something of a sensation. It came out a couple of years ago. It's a, it's an animated short mm-hmm. uh, called Mr. Indifferent. I lead with that rather than the name of the guest we're having, because people will probably know this video or the, right. they may have seen it. It's a, it's a really lovely, kind of a classic tale of a guy mm-hmm. who doesn't care and then he learns to to find 
love or compassion and mm-hmm. uh, the joy in helping other people and volunteering. And, and this is all in two and a half minutes yeah. of, of great animation. And it was done by a guy who's created a studio, an animation studio in Iran mm-hmm. named Ariosp Faze. Not a lot of names that yeah. end with SB in English. So it's a little, little Ariosp Faze. And uh, uh, Bad Stash Studios, Bad Stash Studios, and so he he's in Iran. He created Mister Indifferent. They're doing a, another longer animated film now. His studio. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be easy being an animator in okay. in Iran, you know. So uh, what an interesting story. He decides to stay in Iran. He makes this animated short that doesn't look particularly. There's no tell, telltale sign that it's. I think it's supposed to take. It was for done for a, a company in Dubai or something. Yeah, I was, so it's, it takes place outside of Iran. But mm-hmm. when I was actually watching it, I was trying to look for clues as to where this was right. kind of. And it's know, very made. universal looking. It, it is, yeah. but there's a there's two things I noticed. There, uh, first of all, there's um there's a lot of representation. So you see people of you know different yes, styles, it's very diverse. Ages. Yeah, yeah. It, there's yeah. a lot of diversity in it. And the other thing is, if you pay attention, there's one street sign that mm. you see in the video, and I think it was in. Arabic and French are the two languages oh, that I picked up. So that was, you. yeah. So I was looking to see where was. smart. That's why they call you Smart see? Pega. That's right. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mr. Indifferent. So anyway, Arias Faye is joining us from Tehran. Wow. Coming up in a little while. Before that, we're going to go to the opposite of Tehran, which is Kansas. <laughs> Kansas, USA. And now a gentleman named Mohammed. Rasulipur, and mm. I've been so looking to having him on the show because I'm um, looking forward to having him on the show because he's got a project called the Iran Shah Project. This, the, the the subtext, the theme of this episode, which we've uh, called drawing inspiration. Mm-hmm. Get it? Yes. Drawing. Yes, I do. These guys are animators. They they draw, but yes. also drawing inspiration. I'm trying to explain so you understand. Oh no, I understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm making sure <laughs> because if I if. <laughs> Because that woman who wrote about you, I know, you know she, she's not so sure that. Yeah, I'll, I'll she's get not it. that. She doesn't. She's not so sure you're that smart. No. You know? uh, anyway, so I'm trying to explain things. Yes. For, um, this Iran Shah project, it's um, it's trying to put a visual identity. It's mm-hmm. trying to visualize historical figures and moments throughout Iranian history. Okay. So we know about. The great leaders, the heroes, the people the, uh, uh, throughout history, but we don't have photos of them, mm-hmm. right? right? So uh, we, I mean, we don't have videos of them. It's not like, right. you know, there was no Instagram in the time of Sirus <laughs> or whatever, you know. So, so he uh, and and he does this methodolo- methodologically. Is that the? I mean, he does it with great research right. and intent, and and using AI oh, okay. has reconstructed images. That, he, that are also kind of animated, like they're sort mm-hmm. of half painting, half AI image, uh, half animation of these historical figures. They're compelling images. He's become quite, um, I mean, this becomes something of a hit, mm-hmm. you know, and based out of Kansas, the hotbed of all Persian activity. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the population of Iranians in Kansas? I'd love to know. Um, that's going to be my <laughs> first question. Mohammad Rasalipur coming up uh, to talk about the Iran Shah project. And, you know, he has a mission that's not entirely dissimilar from ours, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of trying to talk about what our identity is, who we are, right. and undo the negative generalizations mm-hmm. that have been made around the world about Iran and Iranians and continue to be based that's on right. uh, some bad actors that don't necessarily represent the Iranian people. Um, so, 
let's get to the debate. Yes. So let me explain. You know, we we <laughs> a, a, few, a few days ago. I mean, uh, I was going to. Uh, we had a couple of contest winners and some yes. of our Patreon uh, members. By the way, you can become a Rook member by joining us on Patreon. If you just go to our website, uh, mm-hmm. rookmedia.com, and then you press the support us button, you can become a Rook member you, you, for a few dollars a month. You become a subscriber to a Patreon subscriber mm-hmm. and one of the members of our, our circle. And uh, and so you get some little advantages. And we have events and we have events and, and things like that. Anyway, a couple of contest winners or uh, auction winners. Auction winners. Uh, yes. Had we had agreed to have them come to the studio, mm-hmm. and uh, for, originally it was billed as tea with the Rook team, <laughs> and then to amp up the auction, I in a, a masochistic moment <laughs> that I would come to regret. Heat of the moment. I said, "I'll also make horse to Madame June." That's right. Which was amazing, by Thank the you. way. Let me put Thank that you. out there. By the way, I made two kinds because there right. were a couple of the winners were were. Uh, vegetarians. vegetarians, so yes. I had to make a vegetarian vegetarian kind with uh, la paix, mm-hmm. with uh, um, peas, chickpeas, peas? split peas, split yeah, peas. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, so it was kind of game um, about them June. One of them, and then the other one was about them June. Anyway, um, so I spent a bunch of time cooking this, and and uh, uh, I've learned as much as I can from my mother over the years. The best cook in the world, mm-hmm. Tabrizi. You know the the. Uh, Ozeri uh, cooking, she's amazing. And so uh, I write to the Rook team, you guys, mm-hmm. and say, hey guys, Wednesday, a reminder that they were going to have these contest winners these uh, and these wonderful people coming, and I'm going to make Horst by them June. Yes. So make sure you come by. And I wrote, I, I'm going to make the Horest mm-hmm. with a T. That's right. Well, little did I know. <laughs> you were going who to knew spark that was, this. Who, who knew that was controversial? No one knew. No one. Apparently. <laughs> uh, so uh, so then Paris, a super P. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> I came up with that nickname. I don't know why. So she chimes in and goes, well, actually, uh, uh, you know, I think she said Jian Jun or something mm-hmm. to soften it. A disclaimer, yeah. you know, just to let you know. That sounds great, but it's Horesh. No T. No T. Yes. The, the the actual way to write this mm-hmm. is Choresh, not Choreshed, right? And uh, so I'm looking at this, uh, it's in our WhatsApp chat group, and I feel quite self-conscious, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I, I think, geez, you know, all these years I've been saying something, <laughs> and it's obviously wrong because I'm not that good, you know, I speak Persian like a 12-year-old or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. uh, with a lache amrikai, and, you know, so I've been saying Choreshed, like an idiot, and in fact, it's Choresh. And all these right? years, no one's corrected And you. no one's corrected me. And, um, and wait, can we, uh, we should actually get. We should. Can you, uh, Roham, can you ask Perry so to, uh, so, I want to get in here. Yeah, get Super the person P, who yeah. suggested. So, so she, she, she says Choresh. So then I go, okay, sorry, the, uh, you know, geez, I do the face palm emoji. <laughs> yes. uh, and go, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, Choresh is what I mean. And it, it still sounds really weird to mm-hmm. me, right? How could I have gotten that wrong? There she is. Come on in here. How could I have gotten that wrong, mm-hmm. right? So then about 20 minutes later, things change. Mm-hmm. Things take a turn. Yes. Because, uh, <laughs> how you doing, Super P? All right, have a seat. We're talking about Choresh, uh, Choresh, uh, right? So, um, so uh, a bearded Omid, another mm-hmm. another member of the team who's in the uh, 
WhatsApp uh, group. Yes. Uh, notable for his beard, of course. <laughs> and his hair. <laughs> and his hair. I mean, actually notable for his photography and <laughs> video skills, but he's uh, but really also for the beard. And yes. Hair. Yeah. Bearded Omid, uh, um, actually, you know what? He didn't write it in the group. What he oh. did was, when we were in the office, he comes by and in sort of hushed tones, because he doesn't want to like upset Super P, he goes, <laughs> by the way, and Bearded Omid uh, is like, he's like Super P, he hasn't been here that long. Mm-hmm. He's not like, he didn't grow up in Canada. Right. He's a, one of these Iruni guys, yeah, right? And, and for he's got authority. Not, for you know? anyone not seeing this, Jean's pointing at me like, yeah, not like not you, like you, you know. Well, no, you and I are more, you know, we're fair, Westerners, fair, right? Okay. Yeah. So Bearded Omid goes, by the way, it's Choresht. Don't listen to this nonsense about it being mm-hmm. Choresh. So then, th- so then, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. Which I was taking it? shit for saying Choresh from what I thought, because she come, came from Mashad like last week or whatever it was. <laughs> and, and, and meantime, and, and you know, because also, Perry says very like, she's always talking about my parents are professors and mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. these things. And, you know, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, Bearded Omid says Choresh. Choresht mm-hmm. is okay. Right. Now, game on, right? I come out, I start running Gotta around. settle this. Roham, you know, savvy Roham, what's the deal? And then Roham looks it up and says, in the dictionary, it says Choresht, the Persian dictionary, right? Right. And then Which, Super, P, that, Super P looks it up and says, no, 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 in the dictionary it says Choresh. Then uh, talented Anahita's in it. There's, you know, there's people are throwing things. There's, you know, everyone's googling. The, the people are lighting fires. You know, there's people running down the street. I mean, it, it gets crazy. So shouting matches. So today, uh, are you still Team Horesh? Yes. All right. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Oh, and you, you turn, haven't even wavered. Well, can you turn her up a little bit? Yeah. Sorry. Go of ahead. Of course, because it, the correct word is Horesh. Horesh. Not Horeshed. And you're... I'm Team Choresht. Okay. All, right. all the Excellent. way. Excellent. Well, well, the funny thing is, is that uh, uh, thinking that this would be a great way, it would be a great way to resolve this, because obviously this is a just an, an intra-Rook team debate. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the five, six of us, seven of us here, right. we don't understand things. If we put this out to the community, mm-hmm. surely we'll they will. there will be such unity. <laughs> uh, we've, we've come to know the unity of the Persian community. I yes. mean, it's going to be, everyone's going to tell us what the, well, it's only, it's been like an hour or something mm-hmm. that since I, I put it on Instagram and said, all right, guys, tell us what, uh, you know, what do you got? Uh, is it Choresh or Choresh? It hasn't been up for very long. And the comments are coming in, and what did we learn? That oh, there there's no is agreement, division. right? There, yeah, like basically, it's the same as the office. Yes. Uh, and I love that some people are like, Jun, you're okay." Like people are just like <laughs> trying to make me not, not commit better? suicide. They're like, "No, it's gonna be okay." Choreshed is right, you know. And then others, I find that the choresh without the T people, mm-hmm. they're a little bit, a little snobby. Maybe. Well, first they're of like, all, like we know Persian. It's Choresh, you know, you're a villager or something like that. They're right? also in the minority, mind I add. Really? So, you know, I've, I've got is some leading? stats for All you right. here. So when right, I Super checked. P, like you, you're going to regret the day that you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you'll stand by your Choresh after this, but hold on. So when I looked at this last, now to be fair, it was a little while ago, so I don't uh-huh. know, this might have been updated. Uh-huh. Um, we were at 44 comments for Choresh with a T. 
19 or so comments for Khoresh and 30 some odd comments um, with either explanations or essentially saying, who cares? It's yummy either way. Right, right. right. That was, there was a lot of responses like that as so well. So more, a higher percentage of, with the T. Yes, right. definitely. More okay. than double. All right, let's check in the comments again so, and, and see if there's uh, yeah, what let the me, numbers are down. But do you have any, uh, uh, now we've just posted this, so we're, we're going to see if some, and some of the comments are very, uh, there's some good explanations oh, yeah. for why it's, for, for both sides, mm-hmm. right? There's good explanations for why it's Khoresht, and there's, uh, go ahead, Super P. Okay. I know your parents are professors, so <laughs> did you mention that? <laughs> she was about to. <laughs> I was about to. So the correct word is Khoresh. Yeah. And if you check... Khoresh with no T. With no T. And yes. if you check dictionaries, you know, we have like... Uh, I don't know, Roham, check what kind of dictionary yeah, is, the but, Roham, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we have uh, and Moin dictionary, which is like uh, like Oxford dictionary right. for Iranians. And, and in both, they said it's Khoresh. Uh-huh. So, so what do you make of people who are saying uh, seemingly very smart people? Uh, on Instagram, no, but I mean, they, you know, there's people, people, you know, who we have cooking in their name mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, they're saying it's choreshed. Uh, choreshed is also okay because we're, we're talking, right? When we're talking, we say choreshed. I see. Uh, and but the correct word in is choreshed. I see. Choreshed. So you're going is by actually, the correct. Actually, I checked it up, and choreshed is the name of a village in northwest of Iran. Uh, in Urumia province, uh-huh. so, which I didn't know actually that mm-hmm. about Someone that. commented that yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so uh, like what are the compelling arguments we've heard for Khoresh with a T? So here's the thing. I have someone here who's written, um, and actually maybe I'll, I'll shout out some people. So okay. Azita here wrote that um, she actually looked up so what you were mentioning, and she's written that it says Khoresh. With a See, T. This is the oh, this is the best part when <laughs> when Persians can't agree on what the same dictionary says. Right? Right? This is yeah, my favorite now. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Um, oh no, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> this is my lack of Farsi oh, skills. Okay. Hang on, she's written both actually. So she's written the definition for both. Okay. I, I, can we? <laughs> I recount that. Okay. All right. <laughs> but then there's um there's an individual who mentioned the city like like Paisa said. All right. There's individuals who have said you know um the colloquial well the way that you talk so in colloquial manners it's mm-hmm. different than what you write yes the vernacular i said this exactly. in my video that that's I, I mean to be fair i think bearded omid said that in the beginning he said mm-hmm. but as i believe my linguist sister would say if the colloquial language can often become the language that exactly. you know if everyone says something a certain way you don't necessarily say everybody is wrong because the dictionary says something. Mm-hmm. The language evolves, and so maybe it's Khoresht. There, there was a really interesting comment that I saw, and bear with me because tr- I'm trying to pull it up here, but someone had referred to or made a comparison to the English language saying that the T in Khoresht is like the S in English, where you place the S to show that it's... Like, if you say... You know, you're making a stew, but then you say a specific kind of stew, then you would put the tea. That's what they No, no, saying. well, that's, yeah, that's a good argument, which is that you don't say Khoreshe Badamjun, you say Khoreshte Badamjun. Yeah. Or so Khoreshte Kadu. Okay, I disagree with that comment because uh, S in English, uh, it, it's actually a part of grammar. But as we said, in Khoresht, we just say it uh, when we're talking. 
you know, we don't write Khoresht. I, I don't know what the S in English is referring to. Yeah, so I found the comment. Okay. So Farah Fartusi says Khoresh is correct, but when you want to mention what type of Khoresh, you add the T at the end of it. It's just like using S at the end of the names in English to make it relate to the name before that. I, I personally, I think I'm going to weigh in here. I think it's Khoresht, and I said I'm team Khoresht, yes. but I think it's because, again, over time the language has changed. It's like Balish or Balisht or Micham or Michaham or all these other words in Farsi that we write one way but we say it another. Yes, that sounds right to me. Yeah, yeah. but like, if the again, the correct word is Balish, but in speaking we say Balish. Is it possible that there isn't a correct word? <laughs> is it possible that both of them are right? Yeah. We had a no, lot of comments no. saying that. That we did. We I did. saw some yeah. of those already. Well, all right. Let me know. You keep looking at that yes. and see if there's anything. Uh, this is this has come up, by the way. Next week, we're going to do a, an episode called... Uh, is Persian food healthy? Yeah, is Persian food healthy? Mm -hmm. And we're going to bring three experts in Persian cooking slash nutrition to make the argument about whether Persian food is healthy or not. I mean, yes. my knee-jerk reaction would be no, but actually maybe yes, right? Let's I'm see. I'm crossing my fingers that Let's it see. is. <laughs> and I'll bring this up with them. Okay. The Khoresh Khoresh, just to see what they, and we'll have more chance to go through because this is just like all breaking right now, the comments, yeah. so we don't, we can't, we should collate them and, mm -hmm. and uh, see where things are at. But uh, this also happens with like Shambe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Because uh, I, I always thought it was Shambe. Shan. And then I've seen it written and it's Shanbe with an N, mm -hmm. right? It's fucking confusing. What's the matter with this language? It's again, same thing. You know, it's Shanbe, but because it's difficult to pronounce, we just say See, this Shanbe. Is why but if you want to write it in Farsi, you have to write Shanbe. Yeah, this is why I can speak well, but I will never write because yeah. everything I write is spelled wrong because of this because reason. Because you exactly. write it the way you speak it. Yeah. But but is Khoresht easier to say than Khoresh? Like if the argument is we're saying the easier thing, it doesn't. It's not easier. It's just I, what we're used to. I think if you want to refer to a particular food, if you want to say, for example, Khoresh Sabzi, it's easier to say. Like she's even refusing the tea when mm -hmm, she says I that. I know. Khoresh e. It, it's easier to say Khoresh de Gormesabzi. Oh, no, so you admit it's easier to say it with it's, the T. I agree well, that's that what she's saying. She's saying lazy say. people say it, but the official way is Khoresh. <laughs> okay. That's what you're saying, basically. Actually, you also, in English, you mm -hmm. usually say, like, some people don't pronounce the words in the, like, um, complete correct. way. Yeah. And you always say this is the lazy way of saying uh, it. Is, English. I guess correct, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. And in fact, in, uh, uh, in the city that we're in right now, mm -hmm. The people, exactly. I, the, and there's been this argument for many years that people who live here, you can tell somebody who lives here because mm -hmm. they say Toronto, mm -hmm. but somebody from outside of here, Toronto, right? But that's the <laughs> way I say it. I like to say Toronto. I'm from yeah. Toronto with the T. But yeah. All right. Thanks, Super P. That was great. Good work. <laughs> Thanks for setting off yeah. this uh, incredible debate. How do you feel now that you see that the uh, the majority of people so far are coming with the tea? I on actually, them? it was interesting for me because I thought people would like agree with me. Right. right. They weren't. Right. Yeah. So far. Yeah. So far they're... Uh, but, you know, things can change. Yes. Maybe one of the, a thought leader will come out and say, Khoresh uh, <laughs> and things like that. Um, thank you. Merci. Yeah, Merci. You, you can go now. <laughs> uh, that's super P, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, thank you, super P. 
uh, we are coming to you on Rook. So, uh, so where are we at now? Has anything, anything changed with the Choresh Choresh? Um, yeah, we're still okay. divided. Yeah. Still um, lots of Choresh, lots of Choresh. Uh. I'm surprised at the amount of people who are fans of Choresh the Badem June. Everyone's saying, no matter what, it's yummy. You cook it, I'll have it. Yeah. We like the eggplants. Yeah. The Iranians. That's yeah. right. Although some without the meat, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Rook. We're coming to you on um, rookmedia.com. You can link to all of our platforms from our website, rookmedia.com, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. Remember, if you want to see what you're hearing on this show, you can actually watch some full interviews and episodes on YouTube uh, at Rook Media and um, follow our descriptions in English and in Persian if you want uh, through our Telegram channel. So before we get to our guests and the drawing inspiration theme of this episode let's do a roundup here and um pega what what have you got in this week's uh, rook roundup um lots of news this week actually lots of new campaigns lots of viral photos and videos things like that um but i want to start off with a new campaign that was trending on twitter um hashtag nah or no um which started by um a dozen students from varying um, groups and universities across Iran um, who issued a statement of support for their fellow students and academic community um, as of June 19th, so just a couple of days ago. Um, so I don't know, I'm sure you've seen it, I'm sure a lot of other people have seen it too, but there's been this um, different kind of artistic ways of expressing this. So there's been fo- like photographs, there's been some people have made sculptures of the word no in Farsi, um, there's been collages, all these things that have been shared over the last couple of days. And um, this was just to express support and basically reiterate a couple of things. And some of the messages that they were trying to reiterate was um, they were trying to, I guess, reinforce the idea that gender apartheid exists, Mm -hmm. in fact. Um, They're trying to reinforce the fact that there's such a big lack of human rights in Iran. Um, And most importantly, the fact that, and I quote this, the students will not turn back. So the students are saying, you know, no matter what, um, we still stand with what we said. We're still going to fight. We're still going to continue. And there was a a specific line from one of the statements that was released that I want to read because I thought it was just so powerful. And it says, we who have become us for almost a year now have nothing to say to you except the word no. Mm. And I thought that was so beautifully written. We who written. have become us. Yeah. I love that. I know. Wow. I thought it was I thought it was incredible. Mm. And um, just to recap, and of course, I know so many people within the community know this, but just as a reminder, since September 2022, there were upwards of 720 students who were detained um, for hijab-related offenses, and so many of them have now been um, either expelled, fined, um, imprisoned, tortured, yep. all yep. these things. And now a new trend that we're seeing is that so many of them have been banished. Right. Which I read this and I thought, what are we in like 18th century? Yeah. Th- these and students, professors too. Professors yeah. as well. I mean, professors have been expelled. They've been into forced reti- They've been put into forced retirement. All these things. But this whole banishment idea is this new trend that the Islamic Republic is, I guess, using, mm-hmm. where they're literally sending these students to these remote villages yeah. and saying that's the only way that you can continue your education or, or you know, yeah. um, stay enrolled. Again, in terrify the people enough mm-hmm. that there will be no dissent. Exactly. And yet the no campaign that's right. has sort of caught, caught on, right? Like brush fire, sort of. Mm-hmm. I've seen people here um, hopping onto the campaign. I mean, people in the diaspora right. as well. Um, what else you got? 
Um, next is a little closer to home. So in Ottawa, we saw in the city of Ottawa, they installed a commemor- commemorative sign um, in front of the former site of the Iranian embassy mm. that honors Masa Amini. So it's the like a street sign. Exactly. Yeah. So there was a street sign that was put up. And um, the street sign, I think, has her name. Um, and the backdrop or the background of it is, is, the f- is the colors of the Iranian flag. So red, white, and green. Um, and it says her name. And it's right at that same intersection right across from where the embassy the Iranian embassy used uh-huh. to be which has now been left unoccupied since 2012 where it was shut down but it was interesting because they had a ceremony um, to commemorate putting this up and um, there were politicians this is in Ottawa Canada by the way in case you're right. listening outside of the country and Ottawa's our capital, capital. And yeah yes and so there were politicians from all levels of government who attended the ceremony um, Canadian politicians of course um, there were a lot of Iranians from you know the city who had gathered there to show their support um, and actually we had a familiar face there Goldie Ramari was there mm. as well so I saw that she was uh, she was there recent rook guest exactly slash uh, conservative MPP mm-hmm. for the Ottawa area. That's so right. That, yeah. That's right. Um, which I thought was so important because it's always important to have elected officials and members of government recognize what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a uh, um, another nice. Okay, yeah. that's good. Um, in other news, it was also the 14th year anniversary of passing of Neda Agasol. It was right at this time, uh, the Green Movement. Right mm-hmm. at this time, 14 years ago. Can you believe it's? I mean, actually, yeah, 14 years ago. Can you believe that? I can't. I mean, I was, it's I was seeing the photos, and I couldn't remember. I couldn't even imagine that that many years have have gone yeah. by since then. Yeah, and I always remember. Uh, I remember the dates because I remember. I mean, you remember what happened, of course. Michael mm-hmm. Jackson dies, um, so and Michael Jackson's death became such a an international media mm-hmm. focus Spectacle, that it yeah. took it away from the uh, the green movement i think that was june 26th i'm not sure of it so we're right in the moment right now where 14 years ago we were out on the streets and around the world sort of trying to support the green movement and um and neda would be what now she, she would have been 40 right and i think actually her I can't remember. I think it was the 20th of June that she was shot. So it was just two days yes, ago. Yes, that makes sense. Um, and I mean, w- what really sparked this is that um, a photo of her parents went viral because they had visited her gravesite um, to mark the anniversary of her death. And I think it was just in light of what's been happening the last, gosh, nine months, ten months, um, it just brought back all these traumatic memories of what occurred in 2009 um but again i I you know if you zoom out for a second it's interesting that we're commemorating our own history based on events and the events are protests Mm -hmm. and that i mean mean, that's i know that's obvious to iranians but think about how interesting slash sad that is sad i think that we the milestones or the goalposts however you want to look at it in terms of the way we see our recent history is oh that was the year of that protest Mm -hmm. this was the year of this protest uh and these are not like uh um you know a a protest like a parade down the street this is like a a a life and death protest where people are are being killed detained tortured etc um it's, it's wild stuff. Mm-hmm. 14 years. One last thing I wanted yeah. to talk about, and I know that this is going to be a little bit of a controversial topic, so oh. I'll um, Are you going to attack a concert in L.A. again? No, not, <laughs> not attacking a concert. But the reason I say it's controversial is because this isn't um, 
I wouldn't say this. I wouldn't call this news. There's there's definitely rumors. So I don't want to say that there's a specific article or anything uh. like that. But there's um, rumors are spreading that after 10 months of almost no diplomatic activity between the United States and Iran, they are actually, in fact, um, close to reaching an informal agreement. Right, right. That's not controversial. Well, I mean, uh, someone's going to come to me and say, how do you know this? No, for and sure. But uh, but it's so clear that that's that there's these, I think, I mean, and I we're agree. hearing so many different sources say this, that there's kind of a rapprochement between the, the Biden administration and, uh, and Iran in terms of working mm-hmm. on some new deal. Exactly. And what I wanted to talk about is what's kind of on the table now, because there's definitely been um, murmurs of, of some of the things that might be on the table in terms of negotiations. So on Iran's side, Iran would have to refrain from enriching uranium beyond 60 percent. They would have to halt attacks by allied militias in Iraq, Syria and on U.S. troops and contractors. They would have to refrain from providing Russia with ballistic missiles and expand collaboration with IAEA. And then Iran would have to release several American citizens wrongfully imprisoned in Iran. On the flip side, the U.S. would have to release four Iranians that are imprisoned in the U.S. They'd have to refrain from tightening sanctions on Iran. They'd have to stop seizing oil tankers. And, and this is, I think, the most controversial one, is they'd have to unfreeze Iranian money that's held in foreign banks. So, again, this isn't news yet, but reasons why, you know, this is something that I think informally is definitely taking place. Yeah. All right. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, are you off to have some Choresh or Choresh? Uh, I'm off to see if I'm <laughs> right about Choresh or not. <laughs> <laughs> Go find out what the kids are saying yes. on the internet. Thank you, Pega. Thank you. All right, let's get to our first guest. You know, Iranians know that we have a, a rich and storied past full of actual heroes and brilliant historical figures, as well as myths and iconic subjects of poems and stories. But given that we don't have photos or videos of people who existed centuries ago. How do we get a sense of who they were and what they looked like? Well, my first guest today is a talented Iranian-American visual artist and technologist who has made it his mission to allow us to see our historical figures. He's the man behind the Iran Iran Shah project, and he is at the helm of this adventure currently based in the American Midwest. Mohammad Rasulipur has made it his mission to visualize the history of Iran from the beginning to the present through the visual reconstruction of famous Iranian and Middle Eastern figures based on archaeological evidence. His renderings are vibrant and captivating and have become very popular. Mohammad was born and raised in Tehran. He moved to the United States to pursue his studies in visual arts and has worked as a designer for major companies in the U.S. for years. But now he has fully committed himself to his impressive and expansive Iranian history project. And right now, Mohammad Rasulipur joins me from Kansas City, United States. Hello, sir. Hello, and thank you so much for that wonderful intro. I'll I'll uh, kind of plagiarize some of it for my intro going forward. I'm super bad at writing my own Please. bio and intro and, and yeah. explaining what I do. I thought that was really wonderful. Feel thank free you so to much. steal. Feel free to steal. And it's great to have you joining us from the epicenter of Iranian history, Kansas. <laughs> Absolutely. This is where it all happened. Uh, this is where it's happening. This is where you need to go if you want to learn about Iran. No, just joking. This is the least likely place. I mean, is there a, a, is there a Persian community in Kansas? I think there is. Actually, okay. there's a there's a sizable Persian community that um, I think 
um, it was quite warm and they gathered with, you know, with, with our communities are different um, ways of thinking, different political views. And so it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to bring people together, but I think this community does a, does a good job of doing that. The first time I saw the community at large was where in some of the Nowruz celebrations that, uh, that happen annually. Uh, and so I uh, gotten to see that there are quite, quite a lot of Iranians here, actually, surprisingly. Uh, there's no place like home. You That's get, right. Do you get That's that right. reference? <laughs> there's no, oh, for, for, you, you mean the, uh, um, uh, the Kansas girl, what was that? Uh, super <laughs> I'm testing famous... your, I'm testing your, I know you didn't grow up in, in, in uh, the U.S. So. I didn't, but I know what you're talking it's about. It's the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's from Kansas. Wizard of yeah, Oz, yeah. there you go. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, I haven't been in, in uh, Kansas City for very long. I, I, well, first of all, I came to the U.S. in 2009. So I'm, I'm, most of my growing up was in India and Iran. But uh, but yeah, I was I came here when I was 19 and, and met my wife in 2014 and got married 15 and, and came to Kansas City in 16. She is from here. And so I've been here since 2016. And by the way, you left Te- you left Cosmopolitan City of Tehran and yeah. uh, went to a place called Goshen. Indiana. I mean, I've traveled through Indiana. I've I've toured for years in the United States. I, I I've I don't think I've ever heard of Goshen, Indiana. I know it's a college town, but it it can't be a very big one. It is not. It's super tiny. It's a town. It's a Mennonite school. I don't know if you've heard of the Mennonites. Sure. Uh, a lot of people mistake Mennonites with the Amish, which are which are related, uh-huh. um, but they they uh, sort of have this mentality of leaving peacefully and living. Uh, with minimum technology. Are you a Mennonite? I am not. Oh, no, okay. no, right. no, I'm not a Mennonite. It was, it was just but the a, Mennonites welcomed you as an, as an that's Iranian. Right, that's right. Mennonites welcomed an, an Iranian, uh, quote-unquote Muslim in name, guy, <laughs> right, right. Uh, and to you. study in, in a tiny college in northern Indiana, and I had a wonderful time there. Mohammed, um, I, I love yeah. the idea of Iran Shah, your, your company, your project. Um, as the tagline for Iran Shah, you say helping a group of highly motivated and talented people tackle issues surrounding Iranian slash Persian diaspora community. Uh, what kind of issues come to mind that you will be referring to in a statement like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, things have shifted in terms of what I think the issues are, but I think the, the the core issue that hasn't hasn't changed, and I don't think it will change for a long time, which I think gets to some of the things we were talking about before recording of, of how we might be on a similar path of uh, trying to find out how we could improve the lives of um, people who are living in the diaspora, is this vision uh, or this identity that other people uh, put upon us and, and the idea of what an Iranian is, mm. or in most cases, lack of what an Iranian is, right? Mm. So I think the biggest thing I'm concerning myself about, I think it, it goes back to a story of, of me, you know, coming into the U.S. and realizing immediately in the first couple of weeks that, whoa, the idea that we have about ourselves being Iranian is totally different here. Um and in, I think it was in 2015 that I saw this research from the Pew Research Center that lists, you know, the most popular countries 
uh, annually. It, it's an annual thing. They do it every year. And it, it is expansive. It's from 50 or so uh, countries yeah. um, and thousands of people do these uh, questionnaires. And it listed uh, the most popular country that year. Germany was the most popular. And as you would imagine, a bunch of European countries and, and some East Asian countries were very high up on that list. And uh, to my surprise, Iran was last, like dead last. It yeah. was the most hated country yeah. in the world. And and I knew that- you know, from, That, that from actually living, surprised you? It did um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I knew that we're, we're not super popular. Living in the US, I knew that. And that was not the surprising part. The surprising part was that we were absolutely last. Right. Um, and the other part was that um, this was not only conducted in the West, it was a global thing. Yes. Um, and, you know, like after after that incident, uh, you know, and, and referring back to memories of even uh, even meeting people who are from neighboring countries of Iran, who we would assume that they would know a little bit more about um, Iranian culture. Um, there was there was a little bit of you know a bad blood yeah so this triggered my mind into understanding why because we know that there's a lot of hardship there's a lot of ugliness that comes from that country especially this has been surfaced recently more globally mm -hmm. uh, also and with the history of you know we could we could talk at length of when did that image become ugly mm -hmm. but you know that that set me on this mission to find find where it went ugly and and find how we could show the beauty of Iranian culture, which we know exists. Mm -hmm. We have lived it. We know there are problems, but we also know that there is beauty in Iranian culture that could actually be surfaced and could um, could be cherished by people who are not Iranian. Because there's a you know you talk about food, talk yeah. about music, talk about immense immense amount of stories, love stories, like all of these things that are coming out. So me being in um, advertisement and media companies, I was thinking that. You know, we know how to change people's minds about um, a certain thing. Like you got a product, you have to make the person make the association of something good and beautiful with that product. Similarly, one could, um, you know, expand that for for a culture. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about a country. Mm -hmm. Like we know with with the recent things that we don't want to. We we absolutely want to avoid things that get into politics and whitewashing what's happening there. Um, that's, I think, a crucial part of the identity of, of Iranian people that are very resistant to what's going on. Sorry, I, I saw that. No, it's okay. I, let me, yeah. I just want to come back on a couple of things you've said, and, and then I'll, I'll, we'll continue. I'll ask you about exactly how you see your project sort of undoing some of these uh, stereotypes or ideas about Iranians. But I, I just wanted to say, I mean, pointing out based on what you said about the, the Pew survey, first of all, um, it isn't any great secret. There are surveys that have been done over time to show, just as you say, just how negative the impression of Iranians is. It, the, it's, it's also not that difficult to figure out. I mean, you can you can trace it back to, you know, before. 1979, there's this generally positive vibe around uh, the, the image of Iranians, at least in, I'm talking about Americans, uh, where a lot of the research was done. Um, and Or they didn't know that much about Iran. It was some exotic right. kind of place. And then it goes deeply negative. Um, it, 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 it creeps up a little bit again and then goes deeply negative, uh, believe it or not, after 9-11, even though... <laughs> You know, Iranians had nothing to do with 9-11. Um, and one of the things that is kind of remarkable to me, one of the things I said, did that surprise you? Uh, doing this show for about three and a half years is 
I don't think Iranians, especially those outside of Iran, especially those who might be in a place like Toronto where they're surrounded by some other Iranians now, there's a, a community and there's successful people in that community. I don't think they always know how negative Iranians are seen. You know, that we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking that that's not the case. And I hope that progress has been made, you know, and one of the things that was so inspiring over the last few months, the last nine months was the idea that non-Iranians around the world were finally starting, we feel like we're starting to clue into, oh, so the leaders in Iran are not the same as the, the people and uh, not just the people down the street, but the people inside Iran, too, are not the same as their leadership. And that started to become the norm and celebrities identifying in, uh, in solidarity. But then we also see comments by Zelensky, uh, uh, President Zelensky made just a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he kind of sounded like he was equating Iranians with the, the regime um, and the passing of the Iron Sheik, uh, um, this character, you know, uh, who was quite famous in the Iranian community and, and kind of beloved. But um, he, the whole idea of the Iron Sheik was this kind of evil stereotype that traded upon, you know, who would be the ultimate, you know, counterpart to the hero, the blonde hero American cult Hulk Hogan. It was going to be this, uh, this bad guy Iranian. So that definitely exists. How do you, when you say at Iran Shah, I'm quoting you, we are helping the community show and share the beauty of Persian slash Iranian culture. Uh, how do you believe a project like this can overcome those ideas? I mean, what are the actual mechanics of that in the minds of Westerners? I love that. I love this question. And sorry for going back into the context. So to answer this question, I think let's look at cultures who have done this. Um, let's look at South Korea, who's successfully, immensely successfully done this. Um, not that they had necessarily a very negative image that they wanted to change, uh, that they wanted to change, but but since the '90s, um, they've put one percent of their GDP into cultural exportation. Mm. Um, this is you, you see that this is an immense amount of systematic help into um, showing the good things of the culture and showing you know like that 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 helps them sell um kias you know the k-pops of this world help them sell kias and lgs and all of that um so it is it is a really systematic and really thought through systems that are in place to make this happen you see that happening uh, probably a little bit more sinister uh way of doing it but but with with saudi arabia and everything that's on the news with sports washing recently right. uh, you see you see similar things that turkey is doing in terms of uh, putting a lot of money into especially in the middle east um exporting uh, tv shows my my parents watch turkish tv yes, shows yes. pakistan there it, there's immense love for turkey now because because of some of these uh, cultural exportations um so when we were talking about me and a couple of friends of mine uh, about how what we can do because I, I want to point this out also um, why this matters for the Iranian American community. Even I, I know this is felt, but I don't know if it's uh, articulated in that way uh, yet or not. But I think it it changes the quality of life for people mm. here. The way Iran is seen, the way generally the Middle East is for seen, sure. yeah. I think it absolutely changes the quality of life. I think so. So 
in order to shift that for the Iranian American community, we were thinking, what are our options? We don't have a government that supports and puts a bunch of money. If it doesn't do the, the other, like the negative side, the, the ideal is that they would do nothing, right? right? And so we don't have that uh, sort of system in place. So, you know, being being also in technology, I was thinking um, there is a really powerful system specifically articulated with a company named Red Hat of how do we see software development in an open source world? Mm. This was like, you know, marinating in my mind for a while. And I was thinking, what if we do something similar for culture? So if we don't we don't have a big budget, what if we use the big immense amount of energy around Iranian youth, talented, needless to say, mm -hmm. that want to do something to show who they are, understand first of all, understand who they are and show it, express it to the world. Mm -hmm. How do we create that uh, system that is open source that people can add to a few hours of your day toward a project that is clearly defined and clearly shown how it could right. impact? Right. That was the idea. Um, can we do this or not? So that is basically what Iran Chat is. It's an open source platform for cultural um, for finding out who we are, first of all, and then trying to productize that in terms of like, giving the Iranian American community, the Iranian diaspora community, the tools so that they can express, not only understand themselves, but express themselves. Right, right. So that they can show their neighbor, hey, this is actually who we are. Not with facts, but beautiful things. Okay, As but I when said, you say like, this is who we are, let me put this to you, and forgive me if this is, um, if this sounds too, uh, I don't know, philosophical yeah, uh, a question. Uh, and it's not meant to undermine the the beauty and I believe the import of what you're doing at all. But it's a it's a question. Let me throw it out there to you. Yeah. Because please. I'm sure you, I think you probably thought about this. When you talk about extolling the beauty, your, your project is essentially a history project. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we feel as Iranians is our greatest asset is look at our history. Look at Sirus, Babajan. You look at, you know, the, the, the poems and Hafez and this and that. And, and oftentimes we're going back a couple thousand years you know, so uh, which we know how rich that tapestry and that content and um, that canon is, right? Um, there's part of me that always feels a little bit uncomfortable with it at the same time because it's like, oh yeah, there's bad shit happening now, but look what we did 2,000 years ago. And what does what happened 2,000 years ago or even frankly 100 years ago have to, Reza Shah, you know, have to do with me and you, right? I mean, we're we're existing today, and um, you know, the Iranian regime and all of the atrocities and whatever happening today. Uh, so it's a tough question for me because on the one hand, of course, we should be extolling the virtues of of our past and showing people what that is and who we are and where we came from and and you know, I mean, even even in other ways, I mean, in in terms of the the history of technological advancement and mathematics and all of those things that spawned out of Persia. On the other hand, how much are we our ancient history? Wow, this is, I love this question. I think this is on top of mind for a lot of people who do um, emphasize on Iranian history. And, and there's a couple of things. First of all, um, I think that 
Iran shadow is not only going to be about history. I think that's a part of it to understand ourselves and identity and where we come from. Uh, to you know, the short answer to your question is that amazingly, there's a lot of uh, I am understanding being Iranian more now that I understand because I have studied a little bit about uh, you know the the development of this Iranian identity, uh, and we we could get into that. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, as 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 this project is his infancy and starting from the very basics of understanding from our history and going up i'm i'm learning more and more that it's the stories that are really identity making uh, it's not uh, sirus uh, kurosh and and the great things that we talk about it's it's the stories of we have inherited from those mm. um, and those exist and iran Shah is not only about history there's there's parts about um the thousand and one mythical <laughs> creatures i don't know if you've seen that yeah, project or yeah. not uh, it's going to each and every uh, little village that people are sending us messages through that says, here is the mythical creatures that we grew up with. Mm. Here's the things that they scared us with. Here's the things that they motivated us with. You know, some of them are <laughs> sketchy and, and scary and some of them are questionable of how we used to bring up kids. But it's that wealth of stories that we have grown up with that I feel like it's actually a bigger punch than the facts of what yeah. we did in history, you know? So I think more and more as we are developing these foundations of who we are and where we're coming from, the outputs are not necessarily going to be, um, hey, neighbor, here's our 2,500 years of glorious history. Check it out and how awesome we were. I think it's way more about things that are more experiential. I think putting faces, going back to your um, previous um, mm -hmm. observation of putting faces to these is th the thing that helps us tell the story. Mm. I think not having those faith, and that's why I've open sourced everything that I do is free free download for everybody who's making content. And I've seen a lot of cool young groups coming up and actually making, giving those stories and, and we are reiterating our stories and re-understanding so, so our stories. So let me ask you about that then. What is most important when you are coming up with these faces? Uh, obviously you have to be historically accurate, as accurate as you can be. Uh, tell me about both the, um, the mission and the, the challenges of, of these visualizations that I, are at the heart of, I mean, it's, I called it in the, um, the introduction, vibrant and captivating. I mean, these are, they're captivating images. Tell me about the, the, um, the starting point with these things. Absolutely. I think, well, this project is something that the input is as much as it could be a scientific uh, history as I can find or archaeology that I can mm. find. But obviously the output, there's a lot speculation, but I think it is needed because the mission and going back to the, your question, the mission is to give give our story, give our version of the story. The, the story has been very one sided. You know, right. you ask what what are you upset about uh, the Iranian identity? Chances are a lot of people are going to say something like the movie 300 mm -hmm. that made us look ugly and things like yeah, that. There's yeah. there's many of these um, pieces that do that. I think giving our version of the story is a big part of it. So part of it is scientific. I have a meter there that says this is probably a good guess. This is probably not a good guess. But I nevertheless, we try to make it better and yeah. we try to show some some image. So then you could take it, take it and give it a story. And, and we've found something magical with the pairing of words 
and images. Mm. This this happens in in the advertisement agency. You know, you you have a copywriter and you have an art director. They they couple them together. We used some of the systems that are helping there to uh, produce things on Instagram. And I and I think Instagram being a tool that both uh, uh, you know people here in the West use and and also in Iran is immensely popular, mm. unbelievably popular. So so these these are the tools that it's it's basically marinating our minds into these these were people. This is not the actual picture, but these were people. They had stories. They had intricacies. Um, it's not all about the grandeur of of the of the history. It's it's about the details, about this the stories that we could we could gather and and come up with uh, fun things to make uh, make connections, make bridges, and and uh, help empathize us as as humans. I really love the idea of telling the other side of the story, our, our side of the story, because it's not the same thing as denying or disagreeing with the the western narrative i mean that's important or good you know it's like to to sort of say well i don't agree with these stereotypes or something like that but but uh there's still a void there if you don't actually tell the story and and um the the example that i that comes to mind is actually not an iranian one it, um one of my favorite places in the world is uh is vietnam and if you go to ho chi minh city if you go to saigon and you go to the uh, the the main museum there uh it's it, the focus of the museum is the, the what we call the vietnam war right um a, a war that i would have grown up opposing you know just sort of as any kind of liberal or anybody you know really at this point uh looking at america and the history of whatever would take um but it's interesting because um, even if you think you know everything about it, it's so important to go and see this in Vietnam, in Saigon. If you go to this museum, because first of all, it's not called the Vietnam War, it's called the American War, right? <laughs> and it's a completely different perspective, right? It's a, I mean, it's their perspective and you go, oh, right. Not only, it's not just about whether you agree or disagree with what America did, it's seeing it in a completely different, seeing it from that side of the world, right? And, and, in as much as you're trying to create that, that's so important. Absolutely, that's a fascinating example. They call it the the Vietnam War. <laughs> they call it the American War. Uh, the the American War. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's this is uh, yeah. I remember this guy coming up uh, to the house the other day and saying, "Hey, these these uh, bugs that you have outside." are called the Australian cockroaches or whatever. And I'm sure the Australians <laughs> call it the American. So there's like, you know, it's, it's yeah, giving our perspective of what happened, I think is important more than glorifying. Like I try to hesitate from any sort of glorifying, any sort of judgment. Mm. I actually do as much as I can, minimum minimal amount of explaining that person's life when I do a, a king. And the reason why I'm doing kings is that because they're the people who we have most information about. If I started digging in a little deeper, we've we've got information about some other um, you know, uh, layers of the society mm. as well, which are which are more relatable and more awesome, I think. Um so it's it's not necessarily glorifying it. It's it's showing showing what what happened and, and giving our side of the story. Cause we know the West is really good at, you know, uh, producing their side of the story. So we we wanna not not to necessarily counter that, but but we want to give our side of the story. So so we add some beauty to it. The Prince of Persia is Jake Gyllenhaal, after all. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> let me ask you a couple of superficial questions before I get yeah. back to uh, some some real ones. Uh, there, there's a lot of facial hair, 
uh, on the men. A lot of facial hair. Is, oh, is yeah. it fair? Is it fair to see and say that Iranian men through history have always opted uh, for a bearded look? Oh, I love this question. I don't know why you call this superficial. Um, I think these are really important for for uh, kids to see that these guys had immense noses. At least they chose to portray themselves that way hmm. um, to, to with a big nose. So that, you know, I, we'll, we'll get to this in a second after the beard thing, because I think this is, this is getting to something really, uh, really important. There was a time when identity. we liked our big noses? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That was a sign of beauty. Um, I'll get to this in a second. But yes, um, I, I was surprised to see that uh, I know I, we know from the Achaemenid era that uh, a lot of the uh, visualizations are be- these be- uh, bearded men with curly beards specifically. And and we're I am at least at this point not sure if they were naturally cur- uh, curly or they curled it to appear more uh, you know, Assyrian or Babylonian, mm-hmm. the, the awesome people at the time or the pre- uh, recent past. But um, but what's what's interesting is that I always thought, you know, from from the cartoons I grew up watching in Iran, that, you know, specifically in the Parthian era, the uh, Ashkanian, that, um, you know, kings or men had big mustaches, but but that's very rare. It's it's mostly bearded, uh, long beards. So, yeah, we've 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 looked pretty much but rocking that rocking the beard for centuries. Yeah. Rocking the beard for centuries. <laughs> and, yeah. And, very and, few. And, exceptions. and what were you going to say about the noses? Yes. Yeah, so for the noses. It was early on in my project that I wasn't sure if this is something I wanted to continue or not. I knew it was important, but you know, it was the, some of these comments that that made it really real for me. I had done one person who was named Bahram, and and one kid named Bahram had written under it that, oh wow, um, I didn't know that there was a king named Bahram. I am proud of my name. So that take that. Once there was a comment on, wow, now I see where my nose comes from. You know, so the kings also had these massive noses. I'm proud of my nose today. So, you know, like small things like that, if if you see your past and you see your history, again, it's not about the grandeur. It's about who we are and where we came from. Gives at least me and and a couple of people who have expressed it Mm. a sense of identity because over time, I think, We've been kicked so much different to different directions that we have sort of lost that we we could be ourselves and and in a non harmful way we can be proud of of who we are. Mohammed, how do you deal with skin color? It's, I mean, it's something that's very always controversial in the Iranian community. Mosefidim, we're not really Safid. But it occurs to me that this generalizes. I mean, this has always been an issue around renderings of Jesus Christ, right? Of Jesus. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a whole, you know, canon of work where, where Jesus is like a super white guy, you know, looks like he's uh, in Haight-Ashbury in the, the 60s. And, and, and then there's, you know, uh, obviously a movement that says Jesus was actually black. And then there's a whole bunch of shades in between. So it occurs to me we face the same sort of thing when we're looking through Iranian history. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting topic. Specifically, people Iranians were in the West, and because the Western influence has gone to Iran, I think there are a lot of sensitivity around skin color. I do mention in a lot of the works that the skin color obviously cannot be extracted from, for example, a coin. We can't tell what color right. the skin of this person right. was, but there's big movement. I would say pseudoscientific 
that they're taking taken scientific evidence and, and they're trying to expand it to everything. Uh, and it's very forum, white power forum based. I've, I've seen those when I was 17 or something of Iranians trying to fit into this whiteness um, that is being portrayed. And I think there was a lot of, again, pseudoscientific literature in the 50s or before by the Nazis and, and by the West to make Iran appear as, as an ally. So there's a lot of politics going on with that. But I think, first of all, it's really difficult to tell who what an individual skin color was. But I think what is really apparent we're seeing all the artwork uh, from various times and from various locations. There's no single conclusion you can arrive at what the same color was, but what you can tell is that Iran has been a diverse region yeah. of um, whether you call it, you want to call it racial or eth ethnic, or it's been immensely diverse. And we see that in the art. Um, we can't tell uh, necessarily what a person would, would have looked like in terms of skin color. But the most important thing is it wasn't as big of a deal. There are pieces of literature in, in uh, Greek literature that points out that Iranians are pale or Iranians are um, olive pale, mm -hmm. you know, like an olive skin tone, mm -hmm. but pale. And they, because they're always in, in shade and, and it's kind of like, you know, Herodot Herodotus is trying to throw shade on Iranians for covering themselves. So it's like Greek men, it was good to be dark, good to be in the sun, perhaps not for women, but for men, that was the thing. And they would say that the Persians are lighter skinned, like, uh, like women. Uh, not like a different race or not because they were covering themselves. There's immense amount of literature that that points out uh, what the general look is. But from the overall evidence that I've seen, again, we can't point. You have to point a single location at a point at a, a certain a period of time mm. to be able to maybe uh, go go at it scientifically. But Iranians today look pretty much like Iranians did um, maybe 2000 years ago, obviously with certain changes, but we, we don't look very different. We act, we perhaps dress differently, but, but we look pretty, pretty <laughs> sometimes, similar. Sometimes not. Uh, yeah. I look at these, these images, um, these visualizations, these, these pieces of art. And I know you're an art, you're an artist and, and you, you grew up in Tehran. Your mom was a painter, but it, it occurs to me, I'm not looking at paintings when I'm looking at your work. And then I, I understood that you, uh, AI has actually enabled and enhanced your ability to create these visual examples of Iranian and Middle Eastern history. How so? Yeah, um, I was certainly looking for tools that could make this faster and could make this iterative. That's a big thing about, about the work I do is that um, because I'm not, not an expert and I don't intend to spend perhaps 60 years on expertise on a certain area, on a certain region, on a certain dynasty, um, the work has to be iterative. I have to be able to say something uh, clearly and also is see the feedback. So what I have been doing is that very iterative. I, I put something out with the assumptions that I do, I reference them and somebody comes along that knows more than me about that specific region, about that specific part of history and, and says, hey, this you did this wrong because of this reason. And that's how I've been able to learn a little more in a smaller period of time. I want uh, you know the people who see this to feel like they have a say in this that they knowledge matters into mm. this so it it feels like a more collective as i said open source thing and uh, that we're we're working on this together even i've felt that the questions that i pose are even more important than the answers that perhaps i 
put there. So <clears throat> do you have a, I mean, having done the work that you've been doing very briefly, is there a particular uh, either character or story that is, uh, that really has transported you, has inspired you? Uh, oh gosh. Yeah, there are, um, there are. Like who's a historical figure that every Persian listening right now needs to learn about stat? <laughs> well, I think the most popular is Bahram Egur. Um, he's a Sasanian king. I think he reigned for, I, I believe, 19 or 20 years. There are immense, immense detailed uh, versions, probably fantasies, about his life centuries after, post-Islamic. Um, you know, Nezami has a really good one. Uh, that his central character is Bahram Egur, which, which when I heard this poem, by the way, by Nezomi, now I'm discovering who all these mm. people are who we used to, uh, you know, uh, study in, in middle school and in high school. Now I'm really discovering, wow, these people are amazing um, about this, this absolutely fantastic story of these uh, seven women from seven realms that uh, Bahram Egur is married to or entangled with in some ways. And it's it's absolutely... PG, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you gotta. Bahram Guru is super interesting. There's a lots. There's lots of stories about him. Again, not necessarily historical, but but absolutely a central piece in our in our psyche. Um, one figure that I've I've been fascinated by is is Yazgird, uh, the the first who is father of uh, Bahram Guru. He's also a Sasanian and. It's funny that in literature, he's known as a bad king. He's known as uh, an evil king, a wrongdoer, uh, somebody who does not attend the work of kingship, which is a big responsibility. But it's fascinating that the historical documents that we have from Armenians and, and from some, some other peripheral um, cultures say that he was actually an amazing king, probably the second coming of Cyrus, some call him. And, um, very tolerant toward different religions, which really pissed off the um, the religious class in Iran that that they wrote bad things about him. So, it's these um, the dichotomies and in, in characters of how they're portrayed in in our in our psyche and history in our shahnamen our khodainames um, that that is interesting to you, me. You so know, he, you, know, you know what's yeah. cool is that what you're talking about right now, um, one would think it might be very uh, niche or only for a particular kind of audience that is interested in, I don't know, uh, history or, or literature or something. But uh, it does really well in social media. I mean, it's interesting that your Instagram page is as vibrant as it is. It's actually heartening, given that we sometimes equate social media with the perfunctory, you know, and yet you're posting research information about history uh, and these, these figures and these ideas, and you're getting traction. Did you expect this would be something that could actually work in social media absolutely not to this degree i didn't i didn't expect it to be to this degree well first of all i, I started this because i thought this was needed you know to put faces so that we could tell these stories and understand them better and and i was posting a lot you know i think one thing that's that happens a lot on instagram specifically in iranian circles is that some ostad comes around and in with his with his vast amount of knowledge talks down, he puts puts information, he's like, this is what is happening. And I think because I didn't have a lot of information, I started with this attitude of like, here's what I've found. Is this something that you 
sort of uh, agree with or like do you vibe with do you have information that i could complete this so it, it felt like this is a long-term workshop for us to understand ourselves so i really engage with with you know whoever responds and found a lot of friends found a lot of connections with actually academic academic uh, professors uh, this way uh so I've, I've made it like feel like and and also responding to people my main goal with this thing is to give Iranians a feeling like that that they matter that our culture matters so it's it's never a top down it's never I don't know vindictive it's it's never harsh mm. it's it's always I guess that's part of my personality too but I've who's the audience um I started this page in English I was thinking that you know perhaps the, the, this is the way my project is a Western facing project, uh, but it's very quickly it turned out the a massive amount of Iranian youth, specifically men of eighteen to I don't know twenty six. I think that's the biggest hmm. number of people who have a lot of energy around this, who have a, a lot of energy that I have tried to together we could define different projects and go after them. Um, so that's that's the goal of this page, really. It's 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 sort of uh, expanded from this particular project of, of visualizing figures to defining projects, historical projects, identity projects, and then going after them with teams to to make them happen. Thousand and One Mythical Creatures was something that came out of this. Um, that's e even more successful than this on its own right. And there's a product associated with it. There's a card game that we have made that we're selling in both languages, Farsi and English, it's, it's a dual language. So it's things that we stumble upon that's, that are requested that we realize that, okay, this is important. And so we jump into it, do it within a group and and uh, produce hopefully products more and more. You still got the advertising uh, streak in you, you know, you're, 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 you're promoting uh, available now. Uh, there's discounts available now. three for <laughs> three for the price yeah. of two. But speaking of which, how do you, monetize these activities i remember uh, Jean. i'm answering all of the questions with a with a bit of turn <laughs> sorry about that i remember listening to hamid rahmanian's yeah. podcast on here hamid rahmanian has been you mean when he was on rook yes yeah. yes he's a huge inspiration for me um i don't know if he knows that i've messaged him a couple of times but the way he saw things and he saw that we need to bring this English production uh, to the West so that not only Iranians who are second generation could use, but also Americans could understand mm -hmm. our culture a little better. So the core of the ideas are really when, when it sparked for me was in, again, in 2015, when I, when I saw his work with the Sean O'Man, all of that. And I remember he, when he was on this podcast, he was talking about how difficult it is to uh, sell products sometimes mm -hmm. to the Iranian American community. Um, well, they give the lip service, but they don't actually pony up. Uh, it's it's always been an issue for us too with Rook, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I think it's it takes a village. I think it takes uh, multiple people trying to show that this is possible. New ideas coming in, uh, really going hard at it. L let's imagine it like this. We have about 2 million people, uh, 2 million Iranians, at least that's the official. I think it, it's way more. But two, uh, 2 million Iranians in North America, Canada and, and the United States. More. Let's say, more. yeah, oh, okay. de it's definitely more. Yeah. Um, but let's say conservatively, 500,000 families that are Iranian that are living. Mm -hmm. And Iranians who are living in North America are, are usually typically um, a 
a higher income yes. than average and yes. they're more educated than average yes. they have this issue of their identity being misrepresented yes. and they want to do something about it so if you put this combination on paper at least this has got to be a massive business for yeah. anybody who's producing cultural products because parents want have kids they want to show them where Boba and Momon came from you know like all of that so i think on paper it checks with with the first product that we launched i think uh, we're not seeing that scale but also we're very small mm -hmm. i think we're seeing traction i'm immensely hopeful that this is going to be huge. It's just the pathways aren't made. Like I, I wanted to, you know, advertise the other day on Spotify to whoever is uh, listening to Iranian music, but in, uh, but in LA or in in the United States, and the pathways weren't there. So I think slowly making these pathways makes it clear that um, the Iranian community needs this. The Iranian community will pay for it. Um, uh, to to have this uh, beauty shown. I mean, I often think about that um, Hamid Rahmanian uh, interview, even though it was, I think it was about two and a half years ago now, it was a, yeah. a while ago that he was on the show, because because it was, it's, it's always painful. I mean, this guy doing amazing cultural work uh, and, you know, had a really, really hard time finding any funding and but when he found funding if i recall correctly it was non-iranians that were were funding it and we've seen this there's the golha project as well um uh, that is being done in the uk and is being funded by the british government rather than than iranians it gets a little bit embarrassing almost and well wow. I, I think there there may be something about us speaking of our journey and history etc where iranians don't have the pedigree in terms of and especially after the last 45 years in terms of um the the understanding that these things need to be supported that these things the the value the status that should come with the with arts and culture doesn't exist in the iranian community hence the I mean, it's a joke at this point, but hence the please become a, an engineer or a doctor. You know, that's what the parents want their kids to be because cultural pursuits don't have status. They don't have value. They're not going to make you money. And there's got to be some interrelation between that and this, you know, I mean, because... Iranian is certainly putting a lot of money into real estate or the, there's, there's, there's money to go around, right? But it's not necessarily being put into, into these areas that are so important. I mean, uh, even, even the great sort of history, Ironica, you know, uh, Dr. Yashator, that, that, that was always a challenge. Like, like we've got to raise money. We've got to keep this going, et cetera. So um, it is something uh, cultural. And, um, but, you know, you, you've worked uh for and um designed for some of the biggest companies in the world ford google has that somehow informed your approach here yes absolutely and that's why i think that it is on us and not the community um i think there needs to be more human-centered design that's the catch word um, done to make sure that they, first of all, are aware of what's going on. And also it is exactly the thing that they want, the things that they need or the things that they didn't know they need. I am currently operating on this assumption that uh, the Iranian families would pay. I, I, you know, everything that you say is absolutely correct about the community of getting our kids to become engineers. But I think that if we're uh, creating that community, showing that this is possible, showing the things that you absolutely want, 
I think the the sweet spot specifically is that gift thing that Iranian families want to give those cultural products to their neighbors to show who they are. They want to give it to um, their kids to show where Baba and Maman came from. I think we have to put ourselves in their minds. Mm. Um, I think events do very well because Iranian people like to dress up. And these are all assumptions. Like no, we have to we have to yeah. test these, right? I am super, super positive on that this thing has been done for, again, coming from that background of these, working with these companies and doing human-centered design and there's this thing called jobs theory of what is the job that this product is trying to accomplish for that persona. I think uh, we have an assumption. We have tested it to some degree with first product that we have had. And I think that is responding pretty well. So I think that Hamid Rahmanian's work, uh, you know, the work that any anybody who's working on these cultural stuff is going to be huge. I knew from the beginning that I, I'm not going to go out and ask for money i do work on the side to supplement the work i'm i'm still not counting on this thing being something i could do full-time it unfortunately but i think that if if we have products that are really desired and and, and wanted um iranian community is going to pay double for that not even not even the price pay double for it right. for yeah. that so i'm, I'm very i'm very uh, an open market supply and demand uh, perspective Absolutely. There's nobody's plan in this field. So it's it's only a handful of people. And I think people are going to welcome it with open arms. Let me ask you before I let you go, Mohammed. Uh, you morphed your project somewhat to coincide with the uprising that came after the killing of Maso Amini. Uh, yeah. And you, you wrote um, at the time, oh, yeah, I, I think it was in a post you put up in November, as a visual artist and a history enthusiast, I thought the least I could do is to document this bravery, you were talking about the revolution, the uprising, by the way of capturing, defining images coming out of this movement. I will continue with this project as long as the movement is alive until Iranians succeed in taking control of their own fate. It inspired the question in me, when we are in a, let's call this a revolutionary period, um, with its ups and downs, obviously, does it change the import or significance of your work around historical figures for you? Oh, so, such a good question. Um, you're you're amazing, by the way. <laughs> it just blows my mind. Um, I've been talking to some friends who, who were doing content creation and were artists, even though they didn't post. And, and you know, just, just friends about around this. And there are similar vibes that came out of that, that that the first couple of weeks, I would say for me, the first two months, I could hardly get out of bed. It was incredibly difficult to, you know, a, a mix of guilt and like, I'm sitting here and I can't do anything about this. I hear I'm glued to Twitter to see everything that's happening but there's nothing I can do. Um, I think that slowly shifted when I saw artwork being popping up, that this is in some ways, this this movement had an immense, immensely powerful art coming out of it um, with the, all the examples that we were familiar with, right? I think that ins inspired me to say, not only like that in, in terms of relevant to my work, if I'm if I'm doing historical figures that are important for Iranian identity, these right now it's the Iranian history is being made. Um, so that that was not a hard jump for me in my head to do. Um, but I just felt like this massive amount of energy that is present needs to be documented in some ways. I tried to be sort of like, 
and not uh, judgmental about it. I didn't change any of the figures. I just I just redid, reposted some of the things that the pictures that were becoming iconic. Um, some of them sad, some of them immensely brave, some of them really powerful. That's the way I went forward. And I think as months passed, I, I realized that this work is more important than before. Than, than I thought, but I also understand that when a collective nation does something, as you said at the beginning, the dark clouds could really go pushed um, to the side. No amount of mm. big money project could have made this distinction between here's a nation who wants freedom and here's here's this group that is trying to control everything uh, with any, any means possible. So I think first basically realize that this could organically happen in a really powerful way. But I also know that for creating a, a, a new future, I think we need to dig into the past and understand the past a little better. Did the uprising change the importance of, or somehow, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in the relationship between, uh, you know, the, this time of fervor, especially, I mean, if you, between September and say January, when, when yeah. people were really, really uh, inspired uh, and out in the streets around the world. Um, does it change the relationship or the interest level in in the story of Dariush or, or um, Khosrow and Shirin? Or, I mean, uh, did, did you see that at all? Um, I haven't seen that. I, I was, we were even afraid to introduce a product because we have been working on it for a year that deals with you know uh, things that are not relevant to what's happening right, right? that's right. that's what I, that's what we thought but no it was it was welcomed with open arms and people are like we need this we're we're ready we're maybe maybe even if it if they're thinking of it as a break maybe if it, if they're thinking that um you know we we do have a uh core that we could rely on to understand better so that we could create a, a better future for so i i, I um, didn't post things yeah. that i th thought wasn't relevant like i didn't do a bunch of Darius and you know things like that but uh but you know specifically i've been focused a little bit more on finding women in history which is which is unfortunately harder yeah um, but it, you don't but have as many is, images it, of women you don't, yeah, you yeah, don't, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are there are images of women specifically from the Sasanian times, but also um, all over. But um, but you know that that's the shift that it made into me onto digging digging deeper in in terms of uh, finding women. But I I don't know if that was a direct answer to your question or not. But that's yeah, funny. things shifted. I just don't know how to adapt. It's with a it tough the question. Way. It's a tough question. I'd say it's, yeah. it was just a an idea I had. Um, thank you. I, I thank you for the Absolutely. work you do. Thank you for taking the time today. Your your project now includes, I mean, as we've talked about, interactive visualizations, books, games. W what is your ultimate goal, would you say? What is your fantasy, if you can um, be, a, be a teenager about it, um, with the yeah. Iran Shah project? Pers I think in five, five years, years, we would be in Netflix. We would be making... Uh, sophisticated products. I think we're making basic products to be able to raise our own money with our own products to eventually be able to produce um, products that are very impactful. Um, not to say that the things that we're doing aren't impactful. The numbers are crazy. I don't, I can't believe how, you know, just magical pair of images and, and words could go that far. But, uh, but yeah, that would be the goal to, to be uh, producing films, producing video games and things like that. It's great to talk to you. Absolutely. I hope you'll come visit you. uh, Toronto and uh, and oh, and or uh, leave the door open for me in Kansas for uh, an exploration <laughs> of the, uh, uh, the the Tehran the the Kansas Tehran connection. Uh, I'm, I can't sure. wait.
Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was an amazing time. Uh, thanks thanks for being here and doing all the amazing work you're doing and, and being the, the amazing, um, that's probably at least what you do, but the amazing interview you are. I was blown away. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother. Thank you to yeah. be continued. Chodafes. Chodafes. Says Rook, episode 269, Drawing Inspiration. Well, if you are a fan of animation, great stories, moral lessons, or fun on YouTube, you may have seen a brilliant little short film on digital media called Mr. Indifferent. If you've not seen it, make it the first thing you do after you hear this interview because it is well worth experiencing and don't take my word for it. Trust the instincts of almost 50 million people who have viewed it on YouTube alone. And it turns out Mr. Indifferent was created by a young Iranian and his team in Iran and then went viral around the world. The guy at the helm is my next guest today, and he's an accomplished Iranian character, animator, screenwriter, director, and the CEO of Bad Stash Animation Studio in Tehran. Ariasp Faiz was born and raised in Shiraz, and since childhood had a burning interest in visual arts and drawing. Growing up with Disney movies such as 101 Dalmatians and Aladdin, Ariasp found his passion in character animation from an early age. He got his master's in painting from Azad University in Tehran. And while studying at the university, participated in mentor classes from an online animation school in the U.S., worked as an animator and as an animation supervisor in different companies. He founded the Bad Stash Studio in 2014 to make his films in 2018, Ariasp wrote and directed that short animated film, Mr. Indifferent, which ended up taking home awards from around the world, including two prizes at the School in Motion Animation Festival in Rome. He and his team have been working on a longer, more substantial film called Tomorrow. That'll have its release in the coming months. But first, right now, Ariasp Faiz joins me from Tehran today. Hello, sir. Hello, Gion. Thanks for having me. What a great pleasure it is to have you on. I'm a fan based on um, your <laughs> your work. I mean, when I first saw Mr. Indifferent, I didn't have any idea that it was made by an Iranian guy. It's such a, a little gem. Did you have any idea that this little animated short that you directed would become a global sensation? No, no not, not at all. I, uh, I just wanted to finish it on time <laughs> and... Uh, you know, give it to the client, but I had no idea that this would happen. I remember that we didn't uh, make the credits for it, and uh, we just uh, gave the final version to the client, and that one become viral. So the the one that became viral, it didn't even have the credits <laughs> and our names on it. Right, because this was time. this actually started as an, an an advertisement that you were commissioned to create by a company, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a com uh, yeah, it was for a bank, uh, Emirates NDB Bank in Dubai. Arias, does it surprise people when they find out that this was created and produced 
in Iran. I mean, if you look at it, you don't necessarily know. There's no telltale sign it's it's Iranian. Uh, do, does it surprise people? Have you found that people who of those 50 million viewers, uh, have you seen them get surprised when they find out where it was created? Yeah, we are we are still persuading you know the people that uh, we we've made it. They they won't believe it. Uh, if you read comments. Uh, on our posts uh, or other posts that uh, are in different Instagram pages, you can see that there are there are a lot of people arguing that no, it's not made by an Iranian, and another one is, you know, mentioning us and they are cursing each other and it's wow. always a fight. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we couldn't, uh, you know, put an Iranian there. It was a commissioned work, and we had to put their signs, put their language, put their city uh building you know they, they wanted it to be uh to look like dubai right so we right. could have put but tomorrow tomorrow is uh our short film and it, it is based in iran uh, in shiraz actually and it has a lot of things that i think iranian would love do you think that this um incredulity that people have of not being able to believe that it was made in Iran and the fights that they're having in the comment section or whatever. Do you think that that is, um, I mean, it's, it's, surely it's partly the way it looks, uh, but also, I mean, where, where it seems to be set, but, but also in terms of the animation, we're used to expecting that animation of this quality I mean, I don't know that much about animation. So I see something like this. I think, oh, this is from some giant Pixar studio or something. I, uh, it, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, a little team in Iran did this. Is that my own prejudice or is that the kind of reaction that you get? I, I actually, I don't know. Uh, we, we see this uh, reaction from other people from other countries, too, that they won't, uh, you know, believe it. I remember showing it to some of my teachers uh, from animation mentor uh, school that I uh, took around more than ten years ago, and they wouldn't believe it, you know, and they would say that, "Wow, this is this looks amazing," and I, I've seen it. So I think I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? Like if you saw it and you hadn't created yeah. it, would you think that it was made in Iran? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very hard for me to, to say this. I don't want to suggest there aren't <laughs> uh, there aren't incredibly talented people in Iran. Like you, I mean, it's just yeah. that the, the level of animation is so is so so great. It, it looks like it comes from a big company uh, of some kind. You know? you know, we have great artists in Iran. They usually don't get the, the chance uh, to show themselves properly. And this project, I think it had uh, enough budget and enough time so they could show what what they are really capable of. But where did this company, this bank, how did they find you to commission you to do this? A production uh, company in Dubai saw the trailer of Tomorrow, which uh, uh, it was which we published, I think, uh, a year before Mr. Indifferent. They saw it, and uh, the city, and you know, the walls uh, and the streets. They look a lot like uh, the old part of uh, Dubai. So they really liked it, and they thought we could, you know, make 
something that looks like Dubai. And that's what they told me. I think I saw the article in Cartoon Blue too. Uh, Cartoon Blue did an article, yeah, about uh, tomorrow and uh, it it was a good publicity for us. So it's ironic that they... I mean, I guess it's a lesson out there that it's good to put trailers up because even though you hadn't finished tomorrow, you still are finishing tomorrow, um, you got a gig, a big gig based on just the trailer, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it was great. Uh, Actually, we wanted to make tomorrow uh, so that short film would be a promotion, so to promote our studio. But uh, it's really different actually promoted us <laughs> and we haven't <laughs> finished tomorrow yet. Why do you think Mr. Indifferent uh, resonates so much for people? Why do people love it so much? Yeah, uh, I think the, the film is very clear uh, and it doesn't have any dialogue. So it's uh, pretty in- international and if everyone can understand the meaning and uh, the film. That's one reason. And uh, the other reason is the pro-social message that it has. Uh, everybody loves these kind of messages. It's easy to share. And the characters. I think the characters are quite relatable. I tried in portraying Mr. Indifferent to make him very believable and uh, not just an antagonist or uh, a protagonist. I, I, I tried to put tell actings that everyone could uh, understand. For example, when he doesn't help someone, he would uh, cringe and uh, he would feel bad, not just uh, doesn't care. Right. He will feel bad because, because I think uh, everybody feels the same when they don't help you know, we try to blame ourselves and think about it after that. Uh, I think these things are the reason, but uh, but I don't think that anyone can predict if a video will uh, will go viral. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, human beings are very uh, unpredictable. Right. I mean, I do want to ask you about the characters, but um, what you said about how universal this this story and the the way it plays out feels, I think is, might be a big part of it. It, it, it feels, uh, first of all, as an animated short that one's watching on, on YouTube, it feels refreshingly diverse. Um, it doesn't look like somebody told you you have to have all this, this kind of diversity. It, it looks very natural in the course of it. Was it, how conscious was this um, that you, you know, have a guy who could, kind of the, the main the character he could be from anywhere and but do you also include an Arab man or a woman in a hijab and a woman without a hijab and I mean did was that a conscious thing or are you just reflecting what you think Dubai looks like even I think both you know uh, we were put, uh, Dubai is a, uh, a multicultural you know city and you can't find uh, anyone there and uh I think these days uh, it's a good idea to have a diverse cast. When we are designing these characters, we think about their background and uh, their ethnicity. We just thought this this is normal. This mm. is how uh, you know people are. Character development is a big part. I know of of your talent and what you do. You've said, Arias, that. Uh, 
to find the personalities of your characters, you look inside. Um, tell me what that means. Yeah, uh, for example, uh, I'm saying different when I wanted to, uh, as I said before, when I wanted to think about his acting, how he will go from, you know, his uh, character development arc, how he would uh, become from Mr. Indifferent to a caring person. Uh, I thought that, uh, for example, myself, when I'm driving and uh, some old lady, you know, asked me to give him a ride, a lot of times I just passed by her. <laughs> and I, I felt this thing that I could have stopped, why didn't? <laughs> and this shame the, that comes after it. Mm. That's what I put in Mr. Indifferent, you know, he, he feels ashamed after all of those not helping, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the people. And that's what came. Uh, that's sort of obvious because he's a guy, he could potentially be your age or whatever, but how do you, how does looking inside inform you to create the old lady, for example? <laughs> I, I, my mom had an aunt, you know, and uh, I think it would be great because uh, to make this uh, old woman look like her, she walked like that and uh, she would always smile. Uh, so that that's based on my uh, mom's aunt. She passed away, uh, I think, two years mm. ago. And uh, other characters too, they, you know, um, as an animator, when I want to animate characters, I have to make them believable. And the first uh, case that I look is around myself, you know, the people around me my family, my friends, and uh, other people in the city I see every day. So that's the first uh, inspiration that I get from the life around me. Mm. And most of these characters I have played, I see every day. So that's the first inspiration that I get from the life around me. When you're an animator who is already as talented and accomplished as you are and has been passionate about this how how much is the animation occupying your brain i'm curious as an artist um what how this feels to you in other words at this stage is doing animation is is it is it a job that you do when you get to work quote unquote each day or when you're walking down the street do you see things in animation do you do you think in animation do you dream in in animation mm -hmm. I don't want to sound very dramatic, but it's my life, you know, uh, filmmaking uh, is the only thing that I can uh, think of uh, doing with my life. Uh, I'm looking for inspirations. I'm looking for things that I, I can make, I can put in my work every day, every minute, and uh, I, I can't help it. I remember that when, when we were making Mr. Indifferent the last two months, uh, I couldn't even sleep. I would wake up at 4 a.m. and <laughs> I couldn't just sleep and I had to go to office and wait for everyone to arrive and see them work and then I would relax <laughs> and I could sleep. I, I would I fell in asleep. But yeah, uh, animation and, uh, you know, writing and uh, directing these things, you have to have a life, you have to have experiences to be able to put it in your work. Mm. Uh, 
I have to have a, a very fulfilling life. Uh, so when when it is needed, when I want to write a character, when I want to write a scene, uh, I could write a believable one. You know, we are always kind of work. Your your work seems very reflected of reflective of reality mr indifference certainly in the trailer i've seen for tomorrow it it you know it's an animated version of the world we know there are no dragons or uh five-headed dogs or <laughs> um do do you care to go into that sort of fantasy realm or do you more see your animation in reflecting reality yeah uh i i would love to uh do more fantasy and more even sci-fi or uh other you know yeah genres but uh but right now tomorrow and uh mr indifferent they are both uh very much in reality and uh, they could actually be made uh you know they could we could film them and yeah. uh, it wouldn't <laughs> it would be possible but i think uh animation is a form is an interesting form it's it's more hyper real if done properly. Mm. It is, uh, it has the good things of reality and the bad things and the ugly things. Maybe uh, they are omitted, and I don't know if <laughs> you can understand. Mm. But it's very much more pure than um, a film. That's why it is very popular. Somebody uh, once asked me. Uh, why didn't you make Master Indifferent? You know, uh, why didn't you film it? Uh, why did you make it make an animation? It's very more. Uh, it, it will cost more, and it will take more time to make right, it right. Uh, an animated film. And I told him that because it is the form that I know. First of all, this is how I make films by animation. So everything that I, I want to make, I will make it an animation. I don't know filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one is that it's more popular. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think it would get this much, uh, you know, view if, if it was a film. Mm. I, I really don't think so. I think it got all this attention because it was an animation. But sorry, explain what you were saying to me. Maybe I didn't understand. Um, to say that animation can be or is more is hyper real sounds counterintuitive to me. It sounds like the opposite. In, in other words, are you saying that with animation you can make something that feels more real than if you were to film it? Yeah, because you know when you film something, uh, when you put your camera on the street and you want to make a uh, uh, a film. Uh, it will always look the same, you know, this mm. is true. You can change the colors, you can change the maybe lighting, um, camera angle, but it's the same street, you know. Uh, but with animation, you have to make everything from zero. You have to mm. make the street, you have to make the trees, you have to put the sun wherever you want, you have to make the characters however you like. So you would make all of these things for one purpose, for the story, for this story. Right. So it can uh, deliver the message more pure, more uh, without so distraction. It's fascinating. I'm even thinking about it. I'm thinking, uh, I mean, in the case of Mr. Indifferent or the work you do, uh, 
Well, I was going to say they look. They look. It's because they looks like real people. But, but Mister Indifferent himself has extremely long legs that a normal human doesn't have. And I'm thinking about the Simpsons, and I'm thinking about how part of the reason why the Simpsons are such a global phenomenon is that we see we see reality in these characters but yet they don't look i mean humans are not actually yellow with three hairs on their head or whatever the way you know bart simpson looks but but we somehow feel the reality of them right we see ourselves in them you see yeah we see the reality around us in them of course a lot of animations are like this you know finding nemo is about fish uh, we are not fish but we can we can relate to the father and son you know relationship they have or Wally Wally is a robot and he falls in love with another robot oh, but I love out. I love Wally Wally's my favorite yeah um yeah this is it's so interesting to me that you how you emerged at a, as this uh, prominent animator because you don't actually come from a family of artists, right? Your dad was a businessman. I mean, was it was it clear to everyone that you had this talent when you were a kid? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, my mom once told me that uh, they told her uh, when I was in kindergarten uh, that I that I am colorblind, and I am colorblind. So uh, they thought that uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever, you know, pursue art. <laughs> That's the last thing wow. that I would pursue. Wow. But, uh, but I got interested in it very soon, you know. I, I think I was 10 or 11 years old uh, when I became interested in drawing cartoons. And uh, I got inspired a lot by Golava magazine. I don't know if you, you are familiar with it. I'm not. It was a political uh, magazine with a lot of cartoons in it. And uh, I loved it. It got me interested in both cartoons and politics. <laughs> and tell me about that decision to leave Shiraz and go to Tehran to pursue animation. I mean, that's that's a big step. And, and, and um, I have to believe your parents were supportive. It would be difficult if they weren't. Um, and that's kind of a big deal, I, I should think, in, you know, uh, given that animators are probably not the, a thriving... Um, uh, career in, in in much of Iran. So for your parents to give their blessing would have been a big deal. Tell me about that. Yeah, my parents were always supportive of any uh, stupid and weird <laughs> decision that I had. I'm very grateful uh, and I'm very fortunate to have this family. And uh, yeah, it, it was hard uh, at first for them and for me to move away from them but I think it was a very important turning point uh, in my life uh, it made me think about future and about career and uh, about what I want to do with my life I think I wouldn't uh, you know do these things if I, I, I would stay with them in Shiraz Is it true you you became a student of Asghar Farhadi the great uh, Iranian filmmaker? Yeah, I was always, uh, I loved his film and uh, I would listen to all his interviews and uh, read any book and any uh, interview that he has. So I was a big fan of him and I think uh, it was five years ago uh, that I, I enrolled in his uh, directing and uh, screenwriting classes. 
And it was it was great. And what did what, what did you most learn from him? Uh, the the way that he thinks about film filmmaking, uh, the way that uh, he thinks films should be, and how he decides every aspect of the filmmaking to fulfill that purpose. You know, uh, it gave me uh, a clarity mm. of how I have to approach filmmaking. Do you think approaching filmmaking when you're dealing with animation is the same process as, as filmmaking that is not animated? Yes, a lot of, uh, they have a lot in common, you know. Uh, screenwriting is almost the same. Uh, these days you can do anything in films too, so uh, they are both uh, kind of the same. Maybe you can't have a fish for a character in films, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you can. Uh, but uh, screenwriting and directing and the uh, principles of filmmaking, the principles of editing, uh, the principles of storytelling, uh, these are all the same. Mm. And, and these are kind of the most important things, you know, the, the characters, uh, how you decide uh, the arc of the characters. These things are the same. But the making of it is just, you know, different techniques. Has Asghar Fahardi seen um, Mr. Indifferent? I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't sh show it you to should him. send it to him. It wasn't <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't have a direct uh, you know, contact to him. But I'm sure you can find I, I would him. love him to see tomorrow, actually. Well, let me get to tomorrow. But before that, I, I mean, look, it's... Uh, it's an obvious question that I have to ask you, and I, I almost feel somewhat heartbroken asking it because I don't want to be an advocate of people having to flee Iran. But so many people working in animation or um, progressive art end up leaving Iran to go to work, say, in Southern California um, or some such place. Why did you opt to stay? Um I decided to stay when I was 19. Uh, I went a couple of, you know, uh, Europe trips with my family. And uh, I see Europe and it was beautiful and it was great. But kind of, it made me think that, uh, I don't know, it, it isn't that special, you know. Uh, and uh, I thought, and very naively, that uh, I could do whatever I want wherever I want. So I decided to stay and all these years uh, I told my students, my colleagues, my friends that I would stay and uh, uh, it's okay, we can work here. I, I would love to, it, it was my dream to make uh, a good quality like, um, you know, uh, American quality animation in Iran. Uh, but actually when we made it, we encountered a lot of political and financial problems that made me, uh, you know, rethink my decision. And mm. uh, now I have a bigger perspective and uh, I think I'm, I, I don't think that I made a mistake. I'm happy with what I did, but it was very naive uh, of me to think that I can make uh, an studio, an animation studio in, in Iran 
and uh, make it as big as, for example, Ghibli. Mm -hmm. uh, I really dreamt uh, of making a studio like Ghibli Studio. So we would make uh, feature animations and we would sell it and uh, make money and make another one. Um, <laughs> but um, all these eight years that I had my own studio, all these artists that flee Iran, uh, we have 15 positions in our studio. I had to fill up these 15 positions three times yeah. uh, in these eight years. You know, it's very hard. Uh, yeah. Artists don't grow on trees. They, they, they are very hard to make. And uh, it, it's a very long process to become a good artist in CG and uh, in anything. So... Uh, it was very, very, you know, hard challenge. I, I had to face this reality that I cannot change something. You know, I right. cannot change right. the environment that I, I'm in. And yeah, it's very sad. You're in Tehran right now. What is the yeah. what is the greatest challenge uh, to trying to make a career as an animator um, and uh, with the work you do? we have uh financial issues and um the main issue that i think animation studios have is uh, because of the sanctions because of the is isolation that our country is in we cannot receive payment from clients uh, we don't have a good uh bank uh, connection with other countries actually we don't have any and uh, we can't sign contracts with them because it is illegal for them to sign contract with Iranian companies. Uh, I think this is the main issue. The other one is the, uh, the immigration. People are immigrating like never, you know, every week we hear that another artist has gone somewhere. Mm. So uh, it's, uh, you know, not enough artists are replacing these fleeing artists yeah. and uh as a friend told me last week if two feature animations started in iran one of them uh, wouldn't have enough artists That's, wow right yeah so the, i think these are the main issues that yeah it's really hard we can't fix it. that's really hard i mean look it, things are hard everywhere but when somebody is as talented as you are it's very um, it's a tough call, right? I want you to be uh, working at the top of your field. You know, it's like you're a, one of the best football players in the world, but you're you, you're not playing in the in the in the big leagues in some ways. You know, it's a you want to go play in the Premier League or something. And that must be tough for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I would always rather to face uh, the challenges of our own industry. You know, uh, the challenges of making a film. Uh, not the challenges of uh, receiving payment from right. a client or right. signing a contract or I have to register a company in another country so I can work with another country. That's uh, These are challenges that uh, I can't face. I don't have time and uh, I don't have the energy mm. to face. Actually, um, uh, after Messi Indifferent uh, got released, we put it in our Vimeo page. A week after that, our production company called me and told me that, please uh, just uh, remove it. 
from your Vimeo page. And he told me that because there are sanctions uh, from United States that uh, no country can work with an Iranian company. We can't tell anyone that we have worked with you. Wow. And uh, it was like, uh, you know, killing my baby yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I, I deleted it. And, and we couldn't put it back um, uh, not before, you know, six months or seven months mm. uh, when nobody was looking anymore. Uh, but these are hard. These are really hard because uh, we have made a good piece of art. It's not political. It's it's uh, uh, we love it. We are proud of it, and we can't even. It's the opposite of political, actually. It's the opposite of political. It's a, a, yes. a yeah. And we have to say that it's not our work. You know, it's it's really weird. <laughs> what, what about on yeah. a personal level, in terms of the way? Uh, we we talk about this a fair bit on our program of the way Iranians, not not frankly, not just inside Iran, but outside, but everywhere, see art and artists. You know that imperative to be a doctor or engineer or all of that kind of thing. I mean, do, do what what is your sense of what Iranians in general think of your line of work? Do you feel valued for what you do inside Iran? Uh, it's better than uh, ten years ago. Uh, but mm, no, they don't take you very seriously. They don't think that it's a uh, uh, a real career. Is, right. Yeah, a real career. They think that we are playing, yeah. <laughs> and they they don't really understand how we make these things. They they call they tell us why why did it take uh, so much to make. Uh, why, why is it taking uh, a lot of money, you know, to make? Right. And they don't realize that 30 people for four and a half months uh, has worked on Mr. Indifferent right. to make it happen. Uh, yeah, this is hard. We need to uh, promote ourselves more. <laughs> Talk about ourselves. Uh, Arias, but it's, it's amazing to see um the i talked in the introduction about the global virality of the of mr indifferent how people around the world are so into it and i've seen um on instagram you you did a uh, a zoom teaching session with a bunch of kids from harlem new york who are fans of yours and and you've won these awards and gone to places like south africa and italy what what does it feel like to get the international recognition you've received and to have interest even from programs like this one that we've called you and want to interview you what how does that feel for you oh it's amazing uh, uh i don't i don't know how to say it in words it's it's the most amazing feeling that i have ever had you know i remember when we were in south africa uh and i was talking about my career and my work and uh uh, an, an American, uh, I showed uh, a picture of Mr. Indifferent to an, an American. And uh, she said, oh, I, I have seen this. This is amazing. And uh, I showed it to another guy from Peru. And he also recognized it. And uh, they would just <laughs> talk to me differently from <laughs> after that. Yeah. And uh, I... I, I uh, that was the moment that I truly understand, understood the, uh, the impact that uh, an animation uh, a film can have in the world mm. and how powerful actually we are as an artist. I, I didn't realize it uh, before that.
tell me about this new film tomorrow. Um, what what can we expect to see? It's a 16 minute short film. We started it eight years ago, but uh, we had to do a lot of other works to make money to so we can uh, finish tomorrow. So I think we have worked on tomorrow around maybe six years. And uh, it's it's about a boy. He's a thief uh, in Shiraz. It takes place 50 years ago. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, he becomes friend with a dog and uh, their friendship and uh, the adventure uh, that they get themselves into. It's very, I hope, uh, very uh, thought-provoking and uh, dramatic. I hope that people would, would love you know, the characters and what we want to say with the film. I truly can't wait to see it. That sounds fantastic. I mean, when do you think people will get to see this? We don't have the exact plan of distribution right now. I don't know um, when they can see it, but I, I will try my best uh, so they see it uh, very soon. I don't want to uh, keep it to myself and you know <laughs> uh, put it on uh, festivals for two years and right. nobody right, <laughs> see right, it. Right, right. Uh, I, I would rather people see it in three months. Well, apparently you've also proven the the idea that, or the adage that if you put something out there, it can lead to other work, right? I mean, the, it was the trailer of Tomorrow that led to you to, to Mr. Indifferent. I know you, you say that um, you're not going to give us any spoiler spoilers or tell us too much, but can, what kind of dog is it? <laughs> uh, I don't remember it, actually. <laughs> it was eight years ago. You don't remember and the dog in your I, film? I, <laughs> uh, uh, not... No, not his ethnicity. Uh, I I don't know his breed. It's, you don't know his breed. Yeah, it's breed. Yeah, it's breed. Uh, it's uh, we see it uh, everywhere in Iran. <laughs> but oh, okay. I don't know he, the he's name. an Iranian. Yeah. Dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, final question to he, you. I he's mean, a stray dog. He's a stray dog. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I say, I can't. I can't wait to see it. Um, where Where do you hope to? be in in say if we we catch up again and do this interview um five years from now i mean certainly i hope to be in touch in the interim but if we do an official interview five years from now where would you like to where in your in your mind's eye in your animated mind where do you see yourself being uh i would love to talk yeah about a recent feature film that i have finished <laughs> in five years I'm sure you can do it, brother. I'm sure you can do it. And make the make the make the Persian Wally. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arias, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. I thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's late in Tehran, and and um, it's been a joy talking to you. And and as I as I said at the top of the interview, I'm a, a fan of your work, and I'm continue to follow you and hope to stay in touch. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was great. But by the way, I, I didn't want to say this throughout the interview because it, it can. I don't want. To, I, don't, I don't mean to sound patronizing, but you've never lived anywhere outside of Iran, right? And your how is your English? No. Your English is immaculate. You just learned it how? 
I don't think that is very good. I, I hate my accent and. <laughs> no, it's trust me. As someone who interviews Persians, <laughs> sometimes in Iran, your your English is excellent. I don't know how did you do it. Why? why what's the trick? Uh, I started learning English when I was six years old. Uh, I was taught uh, the English alphabet before the Persian alphabet. Uh, my mom was very uh, persistent, you know, and uh, about this thing, you know, she wouldn't. Uh, forced me into anything but uh, in this matter i didn't have a say so uh, i had to take the classes and shut up <laughs> i mean a lot of people take classes but you know I, I grew up taking classes in french and i would say my french is mediocre it's not like your Pers uh, your your english is is excellent i hope you send the link to of this interview to your mom so that she uh, she can sure. hear how how brilliant you are Thank you again. Merci. I really appreciate the time and hope to talk to you soon. Ariasp Faiz in Tehran. What a guy. And if you haven't watched Mr. Indifferent yet, go now. Go to YouTube now. It's like three minutes of your day and it's well worth it. This is full time for Rook for today and for this week. Remember, for all things Rook-related, all of our previous episodes, everything you need to know at rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Talented Anahita, Smart Pega, Savvy Roham, Bearded Omid, Super Parisa, and Sound Person Louise. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already on any or all of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, Mizun Bashi.